Every year on Christmas Eve, millions of children around the world go to bed with the expectation of waking up to a house full of presents on Christmas morning. The bearer of those gifts? A portly, white-bearded old man in a red suit with a cheery disposition and a herd of magical flying reindeer. Santa Claus, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, Jolly Old Saint Nick. He's a legendary figure with many names in many cultures and the star of many a Christmas story. Have you been good this year? We'll tell you a story. Are the lights on? Good. Welcome to Listen with the Lights On. I'm Jessica Blaustein Marshall. And I'm Patrick Garrett. The figure of Santa Claus as we know him today is a pure blend of history and lore. His origins can be traced in part to a real-life 4th century Greek bishop, St. Nicholas of Myra. He was known for giving gifts to the poor. Santa's story is also a blend of British, Dutch, Belgian, and German folklore about a gift-giving or gift-withholding spirit. Those tales reflect a mix of religious and pagan tradition. Master storyteller Jonathan Crook joins us again on this episode with another story about how a dour old bishop became a jolly old elf. And it's a little closer to home. Once upon a colonial time, from Broeklin to Beverwick, the Dutch West India Company just couldn't get enough settlers to live along our Hudson River. Everyone seemed uh, happy living in Holland. Well, the distinguished members of that august board pulled on their chin whiskers and wondered, how can we get people to settle the way they are in New England or even down in Florida? At length, one of the good wives appeared. Gentlemen, gentlemen, forgive me for intruding upon your meeting, but I believe I have a solution. Well, this is outrageous, you coming in, but, um, what's your solution? You need Sinterklaes. Ha! Listen to this woman insisting we send a spirit to help us better colonize the New Netherlands. Oh, I don't mean the actual spirit. I mean something that would embody the spirit of Sinterklaes. You need a ship protected by the one who protects those who sails across the ocean. And that, of course, is Sint Herr Nikolaus. What do you mean? I mean this. You must make people feel safe by creating a wooden figurehead of Sinterklaes. Put it on the prow of the ship, and gladly will people come to your new world to settle. Well, the gentlemen of the Dutch West India Company pulled on their chin whiskers and said, Oh, that's a marvelous idea. I agree. Oh, I'm glad we thought of it. And the woman just threw up her hands in exasperation, and off she went. And the gentleman of the board went out and hired the finest woodcarver in all of the New Netherlands, and he created an eight-foot-tall wooden statue of the dour old bishop. He wore a tall mitre upon his head, had a flowing red and white beard, and a long robe from almost his nose down to his toes, uh, a crook in his hand, and in his mouth, of course, he had a long-stemmed pipe. This 
was the very same spirit the children venerated, for he brought them toys and oranges on his eve, and that was December the 5th before his day, December the 6th. He also brought with him uh, Pell's Peter and the Grumpuses, who would, well, punish the naughty children, maybe with a switch across their backs and sides, or by stuffing them into a bag and sending them off to the desolate place of Spain. Here was Sinterclays on the prow of the ship, and it worked, as the woman predicted, charming people into setting out from the old Netherlands to come here to the new Netherlands. Old Sinterklaes seemed to stare down the storms and the sea monsters. For when the folk arrived, they begged, Skipper, Skipper, may we keep our Sinterklaes here in the New World? We'll feel much safer. Well, the crusty old skipper said, I don't care about it. Go ahead. Uh, and he broke off the wooden figurehead from his ship, and they planted it along a little parade grounds, now called the Bowling Green in uh, New York City, on the island of Manhattan, where that great monstrous brass bull now stands. But back in these days stood the wooden figure of St. Herr Klaus. People kind of adored the old saint and thought that he should enjoy some of the sweetness of life. And when they tumbled out of the many taverns in New Amsterdam, they sometimes would fill his pipe with a little tobacco and wags even lit it, making it appear as though old Sinterklaes was enjoying a good smoke, wooden figure that he was. Now once, happening upon this uh, smoking figure, came Olaf van Cortland, who lived in the wilds of Manhattan, up along what is now Kipps Bay, and he worried and wondered what will happen to this Manhattan. And once he asked old uh, Sinterklaes what will happen, and he breathed in some of the smoke, and maybe it was the smoke, maybe it was the New World beer, but whatever it was, kathunk, he fell down. And folk ran round, they revived him, and there were some children looking on, concerned, and when Olaf came to his senses, not only was he showing some sensibility, but seemed to be in a sensation. I have seen a vision, he proclaimed, and off he ran. The children then thought, a vision? Twas of Sinterklaes coming to the new world. Now, on December the 5th that year, the children, round and about in New Amsterdam, begged, Mother, father, if we put out our wooden shoes on the stoop, don't you think Sinterklaes will come and fill them as he does back in the old world? Oh, no, no, children. It, it's much too far for him to travel on his white horse across the vast ocean. No, no, but you know how children are. They held hope. They set out their wooden shoes on the stoop and then snuggled up into their beds. The next morning of December the 6th, when they climbed down oh, and opened the top of their double Dutch door, what to their wondering eyes did appear, but their wooden shoes bursting with treasures. Why, look, they cried, there's marbles and jacks and wooden dollies and Jacob's ladders, and proof positive they had been visited by St. Herr Klaas. They found an exotic fruit, 
unknown in these parts and these days of which I speak. They found an orange. They clutched these treasures and ran up and down the broad way and Water Street and Pearl Street of old New Amsterdam, proclaiming, Sinterklaes came, Sinterklaes came. Now, of course, in these days of which I speak, the colony of the New Netherlands was a broad-minded place and invited all manner of people. There were English and Dutch, and there were even Baptists and Catholics and Jews living in old New Amsterdam and beyond. And all these folk wondered, what do you kids have? Well, at first the Dutch kids said, mm, but then eventually... They let it be known that they had been visited and given gifts by Sinterklaes. Well, of course, this prompted um, other children, especially the English, to go back to their homes and beg, Mom, Da, may we have a visit to get gifts from, um, what did the Dutch children say was, was its name? Something like, uh, Santa Claus. Yes, may we have a visit from Santa Claus and get gifts? Well, at first, the English colonists told their children, No, we don't celebrate Christmas. After all, we're English. Now, indeed, this is true. The pilgrims uh, reprimanded uh, the sailors on board the Mayflower for celebrating Christmas with beer and caroling. And for years and years after that, in Massachusetts Bay Colony... Why, there was a fine of five shillings for celebrating Christmas. Eventually, it took the likes of, oh, Charles Dickens to completely turn things around, but, but that's another story. Eventually, those Dutch children, who first had the faith to put out their wooden shoes, began to spread word, and up and down along Hudson's River, uh, children of all kind began to not only hope for Sinterklaes, but really... Hope for, as they would say, a visit from Santa Claus. In the early 1800s, it came to pass that Sinterklaes needed more than just his white horse to deliver toys to girls and boys. Thus, he received a, as we would call it, a makeover from three wise men. They were Washington Irving, Clement C. Moore, and James Kirkpaulding. They took that dour old bishop and shortened his garb and gave him a, a white trimmed red coat and pantaloons. They traded his bishop's mitre in for a flopping Dutch sugarloaf hat. They put a smile on his face and created a beautiful poem. And rather than traveling around on a white horse, he'd have a proper sleigh. And Washington Irving had imported some flying reindeer from his adventures in Lapland and they gave them uh, Dutch-German names, and, well, that provided a new way for Santa Claus to travel throughout not just the 13 new states, but far and beyond that. A little illustration from uh, Thomas Nast, and, well, that dour old bishop became our right jolly old elf. But it all began with some spirited children living in the New Netherlands, who spread word that a good, kindly, gift-giving spirit also would visit around and about here. It just needed a little faith. And I hope this tale's given you some, too. 
This story just makes me smile from <laughs> yeah, ear this to was ear. A great story. I Thanks love much. this story. And it's so funny because you think about it today, you think about what Santa Claus has become today in, mm. in kind of our society. You can go to the mall and see him or, you know, right. he's parading yeah. down the street or something. And then you think about like where it came from and how it evolved. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I love this tale. And granted, I've used various sources and kind of um condensed, but but truly the kind of Santa we have today did originate right here in, in and along the Hudson Valley. And uh, it's, again, plausible that other children seeing kids getting gifts would have begged and cajoled their parents into having visits as well. And I love the idea of it requiring a little bit of, of faith to bring about this um, kindlier version of the spirit that they than they have back in the Netherlands, you know, where indeed he did uh, wander around with a stick to give spankings to kids. And of course, <laughs> if you really were nasty, you were indeed sent over to Spain. Of course, that has origins in Spain being a, uh, they had power over the Netherlands for mm. some time. And uh, so that was kind of a little, you know, nod to that uh, Spain being kind of a, a place where the nasty ones would go. I was going to say, I'm like, Spain is lovely at this time of it year. Is. I would like to go there. Yeah, it is. But of course, you know, the Dutch had a different perspective back in the 1600s and all of that. Surely, surely. And I also think it's fascinating, too, in that, you know, it started with the Dutch kids, but then it evolved to the English kids and yeah, beyond. And, and like the how Germans, yeah, and Santa all Santa Claus is just an amalgam of all of these, these sort of yes. cultural um, descriptions of him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, each... Um, St. Nicholas is the patron saint, I think, of 27 different countries. And there's, of course, you know, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle. And I love that in um, parts of Italy and Russia, they actually have a kind of uh, like a grandmother Christmas who gives gifts as well. What I find also fascinating is how so many countries and cultures in December have a tradition of, of giving gifts and of light and, and forgiveness, too, and, and a sense of miracles coming about. You know, I think of, of Hanukkah or I think of, um, you know, with lights burning for longer than they should. And also um, for people setting bonfires or bone fires to call to the spirits and bring down a bit of light to rekindle what will eventually become spring. It's just, you know, going about the days now where it's dark at 4.30 in the afternoon and uh, you're wondering, oh, man, you know, well, there's a little spark of hope in all of these tales. So for me as a storyteller, I, I, I'm honored to be able to share these stories of, of hope and light. You know, I find it so fascinating because America is known as the melting pot of right. culture in America. And this is probably, I mean, as far as I know, one of the first stories of cultures coming together and just just because kids you know wanted friends and wanted to be like the other kids down the block they didn't it wasn't anything it's a very unifying yeah. story indeed you know? yeah it doesn't set people apart from each other they kind of yeah. embrace the american spirit and ran with it <laughs> exactly yeah quite literally i know I, I love that about the story too and um in researching it, it's hard to find references to St. Nicholas visiting before colonial times. And truly, Washington Irving, who there's evidence shows with James Kirkpaulding, gave ideas to, um, you know, Clement Moore, who wrote in 
the 1820s, you know, Twas the Night Before Christmas, a visit from St. Nick. So, you know, that again is all something that had, was nurtured here in that, you know, again, Patrick, that kind of melting pot of the, uh, you know, colonial Hudson Valley. So, you know, we can feel a little, you know, sense of pride for bringing that to the rest of the nation. He's ours. <laughs> He's yeah. ours. He's mine. Yeah. It's funny though. You mentioned the Grumpus, the the yeah, Krampus, yeah, yeah. like the the whole Krampus, the antithesis of the anti Santa Claus. Right. That didn't really get carried over. I'm noticing. Yeah, they kind of <laughs> left that behind a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, in the naughty or nice or lump of coal kind of a thing. But um, yeah, back in the uh, Netherlands, the Grumpuses, and even in other parts of Germany, like in Austria, the Krampuses. Like, they run around. There's these young, strapping guys who dress up kind of like big, hairy monsters. And they actually hit people in the streets. They get kind of drunk, and, they, and they're and they kind of allowed to do it, and they have to set rules. And you can't, like, actually beat someone up. And so it's a much more, you know, there's kind of a ferocity out, you know, in parts of Europe with those, um, you know, darker spirits. Well, Krampus is, has received a revival in recent yeah, years, that's or at right. least Movies. hasn't been hasn't been a revival because it never really was part of the American sort of Santa Claus yeah. myth. But now, oh, someone caught on to it, and now there's all these movies and and you know TV shows that have made reference to the Krampus, which are are really funny. But it, it's like the Krampus is the opposite of light, right? It's like it's the punishment, it's the darkness. Yes, the... it is the darkness, and it's I think it's good to have that element of darkness too, and all. But yeah, it's a little. This Santa Claus story is a little sunnier. Like I said, it makes me smile. Yeah. You were telling it, and I'm like, Santa! <laughs> Santa's really coming to town with reindeer. <laughs> oh, actually, so you mentioned December 5th and 6th as yeah. sort of the time when Sinterklaas would come and leave gifts. Right. What is the significance of that versus now, December 24th? It's, um, well, of course, St. Nicholas Day is December the 6th, and mm. in, in many countries, that's when the gift-giving occurred. I'm not sure how the full shift went to presence on December the 25th. I think, again, that's a combination of many different cultures and countries, and some cultures... Maybe the Catholic bit to it. Yeah, I think that was it. I know in Great Britain, they had, they because they couldn't celebrate Christmas, they gave gifts on the next day, Boxing Day. Uh. And in other cultures, you know, like in Spain, it's, you know, Three Kings Day on the 6th of January that they give gifts. And in parts of Greece, it comes even later in, you know, in January when you uh, give gifts. But I think there clearly was a shift to make it on um, uh, December the 25th. But indeed, around, you know, here in colonial times, St. Nicholas Day, that would be when you'd get gifts, you know. And it would just be enough to fill a wooden shoe. And the orange is cool because that represents some gold that the saint gave to a king whose daughters were about to be sold into slavery. And he bailed them out, actually with with church money, you know, back in the Hmm. 1500 years ago. So, But that's a story for another time. I'm just saying I want to... I want to return to the old wooden shoes outside the door. Yeah. You know. I don't think your PlayStation 4 Pro would fit into your it, little it, clogs. It <laughs> might get into your clogs. It depends on how compact it was. The yeah. corner of it. Right. I often tell that to kids. They didn't have PlayStation inside the wooden shoes, but for them, you know, a Whirly Gig or Jacob's Ladder or Jack's, that was as good as, you know. Or an exotic orange. Yes. Nintendo 3DS. That's, yes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for oh, coming in. Thank, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real joy and an honor and merry christmas merry christmas merry christmas yeah
Thanks for joining us. Listen with the Lights On is a production of WAMC. Our theme music is Grizzly Reminder by Midnight Syndicate. For more spine-tingling tales, check out our podcast or head over to WAMC.org.